It's a pleasure to be back in the book of 1 John again tonight. As Steve said, we're looking at the children of the devil part 2. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15 of chapter 3. And I want to start by pointing something out to you guys. You've probably probably already noticed it, but on the front end of every sermon almost, I like to ask you guys questions. I like to engage you guys and get you thinking, whether it be about something that's joyful, maybe sorrowful, maybe memories, maybe um, emotions that you felt in your Christian life and maybe even before you were a believer. And I ask you guys questions like that and prompt you in those ways, get you thinking, because I think like all people who would teach the Bible, um, they want you to know that the sermon or the lesson in that scripture is being brought out for you. It's applicable to you. John, of course, did not write these words in chapter 3 of 1 John specifically to Rob Kleiss or to Hank and Gloria. He, inspired by God, wrote them to the churches of Asia Minor. But God, in His sovereign plan from before time began, ordained that we would be in this very text tonight. Go to Psalm 19. This is perhaps one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. If you've spent much time in your Bible, you no doubt have seen the beauty of it. It's a chapter on the glory of God in creation to start out and the glory of God in His Word to end. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. We see elsewhere that the word of God is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's a sword. It's a mirror. Second Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This word of God, every line, every jot and tittle matters. And this is God's word that He has given you to equip you for all that this life has to throw at you. A year or two ago, Michael Stroutman and um, Men's Friday Fellowship, he had no idea I was going to bring him into this. He was quoting J.C. Ryle talking about prayer. And he told me, you get to talk to God. No, you, you get to talk to God. And on the other side of that, friends, you get to hear from God. No, you get to hear from God. He has spoken. He has literally breathed out His Word through His Spirit. Though written to people a couple thousand years ago, this Word of God is for you. 
It's applicable and profitable to equip you. And I'm telling you this because, again, tonight we're looking at the children of the devil, and our instinct might be to say, I'm good. I can tune out another week. This is not about me. This is about the children of the devil. I'm secure in Christ. I'm good. And if you do that, you've missed the point. He's designed that we would come to this text tonight, and it's for you. So let's read that text. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We start here again where we ended last week in verse 10. As I said, we're talking about the children of God and the children of the devil. And in this section of Scripture, John has given us the unique ability to look and study at the children of the devil. He summarizes what we saw there last week. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. He's of the devil. That lack of practicing righteousness was replaced by a practicing of sin. And in that, we were able to look at the heart of the child of the devil. They are unbelieving, lawless, and bearing the very marks of their father. And today, we look at the latter half of that verse, verse 10, and it summarizes what we see tonight. The child of the devil is the one who does not love his brother. That is the outward manifestation of his heart. Just like a lawless lack of submission before God by faith, so also the child of the devil lacks love. But John doesn't show us the child of the devil's heart by contrasting him with someone that is known for love. In this section, John takes us back toward the beginning of our Bibles And he shows us the account of someone known for hate, for sin, for an utter lack of love. John takes us to Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel. You should turn there, but you should also note that this is the only Old Testament reference that John makes in the entire book. It's significant that he would use this specific example. Genesis 4. God's word says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock, And of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain and Abel are the children of Adam and Eve, we see. Cain, the older brother, he works with the crops. He's the plant guy. His younger brother is Abel, the guy that works with the animals and the herds. He's the shepherd. And it's important to note just a few things. Number one, both of the brothers know who God is. We're not dealing with atheists. There's no denying that God's real. In fact, Cain even talks to God. Number two, both the brothers understand what sin is. As their parents are the very first people to sin and were kicked from the Garden of Eden, it is easy to recognize that Cain and Abel would, maybe more clearly than anyone else in history besides their own parents, understand the severity and the reality of sin, the sin that separated them from God. And number three, both of the brothers are bringing offerings to the Lord And we don't have up to this point in our Bibles a record of what God intended the sacrificial system to look like. But we do know that God in chapter 3 has slain an animal and covered Adam and Eve with it. But that's as far as we've seen any sort of killing or sacrifice at all. Look at verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Cain brings his offering. Abel brings his offering. And what happens? God has regard for one, for Abel, but not for Cain. And Cain gets angry. And it prompts the question, why did God regard Abel And not Cain. Your instinct might be to say that Cain sinned. That was my instinct. But that text does not say that Cain sinned. Not till after the offering. We have no record of if there was something wrong with Cain's offering. And that's important because it shows us that it is not what this rejection is about. And your instinct might also be to say, well, God can choose to do whatever he wants. He is God, so he can choose Abel and not Cain. If you do that, you're missing the point. There's a middle ground between was Cain's offering faulty and sinful and God didn't regard Cain because he didn't want to. There's a middle ground between those two and if you just scoot on by, you'll miss the whole point of this text. Does it make sense that you see those two extremes? We can say it this way, one side is to blame the offering, one side is to blame God. And in a sense, both of those are trying to nip the answer in the bud without doing any work. God wants us to think here, so what is it? 
What's the middle of those two reasons? It leaves us with Cain. It was not Cain's offering that had something wrong with it as far as our Bibles show. And it wasn't merely God's choosing Abel. Just like we saw last week, it was from the heart that the child of the devil practices unrighteousness. The problem with Cain and his offering was the heart from which he offered it. Where do I get that? 1 Samuel 16. Turn there with me. 1 Samuel 16. Samuel has been told by God to go find another king to appoint in place of Saul. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem. He has the sons of Jesse pass before him as God has told Samuel that he will choose one of them. And before Samuel gets to David, who will be appointed king, God says to Samuel, you know this verse, verse 7, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is concerned with the heart. It isn't your offering. It isn't what you bring to Christ. God is concerned with the status of your heart. And so when we approach our text in 1 John 3 and this story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, we must keep that ever before us. God is concerned with the heart. God did not reject Cain because Cain had sinned. It doesn't say it. And God didn't just do what he pleased. Cain had not believed in God for salvation. Cain walked in self-righteous unbelief, and for that, Cain and his offering were rejected. In fact, we can say it this way. The quality of Cain's offering could have been so accurate as to what God wanted it to be, but it was still rejected because of his heart. That would make even more sense why Cain got so angry, because he did what he thought God wanted, and it still wasn't good enough. That's been all of us. That's true of me. Many times before I was a believer, God would bring me to my knees, and every time it was, God, I'm trying so hard. Look at my effort. The Bible says be patient. I'm being pretty patient right now. I'm not doing this sin as much anymore, God. Aren't you proud of me? And every time life doesn't get better and I didn't get what I wanted and every time God would allow my unbelief and sin to bring me to my knees again, those self-righteous offerings, just like Cain, turn to anger. How dare you, God? Look at all the good I did. Look at how hard I tried. I prayed so much. I even read my Bible every day. Why don't you regard me? And just like Cain, God knew my heart. He rejected it. Every self-righteous offering, every attempt to earn his favor, because he knew my heart. And friend, he knows your heart. There is nothing you can give to God that will make your offering worthy. You must rely on what someone else has done in your place. Your heart must be changed to rest in someone else. Where 
is your heart. Well, what happens from there? Genesis 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God is warning Cain of his heart. He's warning him of sin crouching on the other side of the door if his heart doesn't change. And in this, God is pushing Cain to see, Cain, you can't rest in your own ability. You can't rest in your strength. You can't rest in even your perfect offering. Cain, don't you realize you can't give me a sacrifice good enough? I want your heart, Cain. I don't want your fruit. Don't you realize, Cain, you can't master that. And instead of seeing the condition of his own heart and repenting, Genesis 4.8, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. We don't have an account of what Cain told Abel. Perhaps he told him what God had showed him. Perhaps he told him that it wasn't fair. Why did God choose you? Perhaps he simply told him to come into the field with him. Whatever he told his brother, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. If we go back to 1 John, John says that he slew his brother. The word there in the Greek speaks of butchering. Cain butchered his brother. But not merely that, this word moving forward in your Bibles is also the word used when speaking about how an animal was sacrificed. It's as if Cain said, All right, God, you want a sacrifice? Here you go. And he slit his brother's throat. In all of this, John shows you to explain the severity of what he says right before that in 1 John. He says, You are not to love as Cain. Who what? Who is of the evil one. Cain was a child of the devil. He was of his father, the devil. I showed you some of this text last week, but look at John 8 again. Jesus is speaking to some of the gathered and questioning Jews and he says beginning in verse 40 John 8 but as it is you are seeking to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God this Abraham did not do verse 41 you are doing the deeds of your father they said to him we were not born of fornication we have one father God Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. 
Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. And if we might add, you are of the devil. God spoke the truth to Cain when Cain's offering was rejected. And Cain didn't hear. He didn't understand. He didn't get the message that he couldn't earn God's favor because Cain was not of God. Jesus says there, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Cain acted just like his father. He was acting out exactly what was in his heart. A hatred, a disdain for God, a lack of love through his unbelief and rejection. And he slew his brother. He slew his brother the same way the Jews of Jesus' day would slay him. Claiming to know and to love God in their self-righteous rejection. They would crucify him. Go back to 1 John. John continues in verse 12 to give us more detail into Cain's murder. 1 John 3 verse 12. And for what reason did Cain slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain killed his brother because his deeds were evil from a heart of evil. And his brothers were righteous from a heart resting in the righteousness to come. Abel knew he couldn't do it. Abel knew his sacrifice was not what made God happy with him. And John says what was in Cain's heart infuriated him and made him jealous to the point that he murdered his own brother. Jesus says in Mark 7, don't turn there, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Cain outwardly performed what was in his heart the heart of unbelief, and it consumed him. And friend, it begs the question, are you trying to earn God's favor? I think back to one of our lessons in chapter 2 in preparation for this where I pressed you all to think about and meditate on the need to practice the Word of God. And I wonder, are you practicing the Word of God? Are you coming to your Bible in order to earn God's favor? Are you trying to be a better husband or better wife because you think it'll make God happy? Because you think it'll bring you closer to God? You can't. Apart from Jesus Christ, that debt has been paid for, Christian. Don't bow to another yoke of slavery. It's fleshly. You rest in the righteousness of Christ because by God's grace, you were open to see that your offering couldn't do it. 
But unbelievers in here, hear me. Like all of us, before we were saved, that's all you can do. Your heart towards Him is nothing but utter rejection and an offering of self-righteousness. There is nothing you can earn from God, nothing you want, because the only thing you'll want, you'll earn, is your damnation. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your offering because you have nothing good enough for Him. But He has given you access to the one who fulfills that perfectly. Repent and believe in the only person to make that offering. He came in the flesh. He died. He was raised. And if you will trust in Him alone, you don't have to ever try and earn that. It's paid in full. Well, we're not done. John uses this example of Cain and Abel to point out to the Christian how not to love. The Christian is to love their brother, not like that. And if we apply what we've learned throughout the rest of the book, the Christian is enabled to love their brother because of what is in them, a love for God given by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And John continues right on the heels of this Genesis example to give his readers a lesson of what to expect when they do that. He says, verse 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. John is making the connection between murder and hate. There's a clear connection there. They're linked. Verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In God's eyes, the man guilty of hate is the man guilty of murder. The man guilty of murder is the man guilty of hate. Well, how does that work? Because it's the same heart. God's concerned with the heart. That's what our Lord taught in His Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And everyone who says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. He's been teaching it the whole time. The problem is the heart. It must be changed by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, John says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. This world doesn't know you. And friend, that places you who know God in a very difficult position. The minority, the remnant. We live in a Christian church today that I'm afraid has been more deceived of this than ever. We live in a puffed up, egotistical church age that imagines that one sin is worse than the other. When the only sin that's sending anybody to hell is unbelief. The church says, well, I may sin, but I don't sin like that guy. And it sounds just like the world who says, I'm an okay person, but I'm not like that guy. We look like the world. When the world should be hating us. John says, don't be surprised by that. The world hates us because that's the heart of the world. It's ruled and dictated by the prince of the power of the air, the fallen angel, Lucifer himself. And we would be naive to think that his children would not also hate us. 
They were right outside of Eden and the hatred of man swelled so much in the pool of unbelief that Cain killed his very own flesh and blood. Why should Christians be surprised when we're persecuted? Why should we be surprised when we're ridiculed and mocked? It should be surprising when we aren't. The world has the heart of the person in verse 15. It doesn't know God. It doesn't love Him. It does not have eternal life. And it's scary. And this is why you preach the gospel to anyone and everyone. Because you don't know who the child of God is and who the child of the devil is. And the person you think knows God better than you is the one who's serving their very father, the devil. Your grandmother is not sweet enough to get into heaven. Your dad is not all right enough to qualify for eternal life. It doesn't matter if they picked up the knife like Cain or not because they're in their hearts they are murderers and haters of God. In their hearts they do not have eternal life. You can read verse 15 this way. No one who has the same heart as the murderer, the heart of unbelief, oozing in sin and hatred, anyone with that heart does not have eternal life. I want to show you all just one last thing here. It's just another way of saying what we've already seen. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. This is a matter of spiritual life and death that John is writing about. The child of God has life in Christ that is displayed through their love for the brethren. Meaning you can, Christian, in part, have assurance of your salvation through your obedience to love your brothers. As Christ is in you, that will naturally become a part of your Christian walk. But the child of the devil abides in death. They abide in spiritual deadness. Like Cain, they can have the appearance of outward obedience. What seems like perfect obedience, maybe. They can care about Christians. But this love that John writes of, this agape love, they can't do it because they're dead spiritually. This doesn't mean that they're as bad as it gets. They could be outwardly moral and by this world's standards a good person. But they're dead. They have no eyes to see. No capacity to love. Their love that they have is an abomination to God. Like Cain, in the judgment day, their offering of love will also be rejected because of what was in their heart. None of our love is getting us to heaven. So what does that mean for us? The children of God. Turn over to Ephesians 2. And this is where we'll end. It means you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them, 
We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, more by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. From death to life. From unbelief and rejection to faith, And joyful obedience. From hate to love. From a child of the devil to a child of God. All by his grace through faith. If any of you has not placed that faith in Christ, will you? Let's pray. Father, it can be hard to come to a text that we so easily want to say, this isn't about me, and read right over. Lord, it's in those texts that we ought to spend more time. Lord, our hearts are sinful. You know that far better than us. For you are concerned with the heart before we ever even acknowledge the heart. Lord, forgive us of that as we still struggle with it today. We sin. But we are your workmanship. Lord, grow us in Christ. Forgive us of our sin and teach us, Lord, to walk in a manner pleasing to you, loving our brothers, not as Cain. Lord, let us not look like the world. Let us not dabble with friendship of it. Let us not love it. Lord, lead us as you would have us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.